0: Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, there's a lot to deal with here. Uh, Mark's account of this event, the Gospel of Mark, tells us that the disciples had been arguing about which one of them would be the greatest right before this so so we kind of have to get the context of the passage here and we have to understand what the disciples were trying to accomplish with this question we need to go on and address what they had just seen jesus do prior to this and and why their focus was still in the wrong place and we'll try to also understand jesus response to this question but i can't read or hear this question without being taken back to my childhood And when I hear this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, there is one thing that I think of from 35 years ago. And it's something that I will never forget. Now, I'm going to pull the curtain back on my childhood a little bit, let you see a glimpse of how I was raised. Has anyone ever heard of Salty, the singing songbook? Salty. Don't be afraid to admit it. Salty. Salty. Manus. I know Manus has because he and I have talked about it before, about the horrors of our childhoods. But Salty the Singing Songbook. Okay. Salty. Salty Psalms of Praise. Salty was a man dressed as a church hymnal. A man dressed as a church hymnal. A man wearing a book, singing and dancing, wearing tights. He was uh, like a Christian Barney before Barney was ever around. But, you know, at least Barney was dressed as an animal. This was Salty, a singing songbook. I found the video of this song, uh, but I couldn't get a a quality download of it to play. But I I did get the audio. So um, you're going to have to listen to this song that will never, this song will never escape my memory. Go ahead and play it, Derek. Come over here and look at my new Songmobile. This is quite a contraption, Salty. What do you do with it? The Songmobile helps me write music, oh. Kenny. It's made there. of all kinds of musical instruments. That's not look, look at the correct. back wheel. It's I a need big, you to skip it forward to like back here 5 minutes and 50 seconds. I had it loaded next. up, but when it crashed, it reset. Sorry about that. Skip it forward to like 5.50 on that. Well, now you know, to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to be a servant. But how do you be a servant? Got any ideas? I can help my mom. Do the dishes. Pick up all my toys in the hall. I can help my friend Tommy down the street, you know, the one with the new Any other ideas anybody? Gonna help my great in God's kingdom learn to be a servant of all and it says it like nine million times if you want to be great in God's kingdom learn to be the servant of all now you see why I can never get that out of my mind do you remember that one Denise okay oh Christmas pro- salty had a Christmas program as well well we won't look that one up but surely you also have something crazy from your childhood that you just can't get out of here. It's something you can't forget. I'm not talking about uh, some type of pain or trauma uh, that has scarred you from a traumatic experience. I know that many of us have those and, and I'm sorry about that. I understand uh, we're trying to escape from those things. But right now I'm talking about something that is just silly. Um, something embarrassing that you just cannot forget. And this song is that I don't remember any of the other songs. But this song If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, has stuck with me forever. I cannot get it out of my head. And so I'll never forget that phrase. I guess that's a good thing. It's in my mind a lot. And some days I'm pretty good at living it out, and other days I'm pretty bad at it. But I think uh, about Salty in that song all the time. And when I see this text, and when I hear this question, when I hear the disciples ask, who will be the greatest in God's kingdom, you have to understand this song Comes to mind, I can't help but think of Salty the Singing Songbook. And his answer, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And now, thanks to me sharing it with you today, you'll never forget it either. And if I were mean enough to play it a couple more times, um, it'll be burned into your memories. So don't push me today. (laughs) But back to the passage. The very first phrase in our passage today is, at that time. It says, at that time. The Greek says, in that very hour. So it means, excuse me, it means immediately following. The disciples ask this question here, who is the greatest? Which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? They ask this immediately following what had just happened. So what had just happened? Well, Jared spent the last few weeks here on Sunday mornings preaching through the events leading up to this chapter. In chapter 16, we saw that Peter... Confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus, after that, Jesus told his disciples that he's going to die and raise again. These are the things that they're experiencing. And then, after that, Peter, James, and John went up on top of the mountain with Jesus. They saw him transfigured, bright as the sun, and Moses and Elijah are standing there with them. After that, they came down off the mountain, and all the disciples saw Jesus heal this this boy cast out this demon who the disciples could not heal and then after that jesus tells peter go catch a fish with a coin in its mouth to pay their taxes so after all of these events immediately following right after what they had just seen and heard from jesus it says that the disciples are asking who is the greatest in god's kingdom now again in the gospel of Mark, it tells us that they had actually been arguing about this question While they traveled to Capernaum and they were trying to keep Jesus from hearing them argue about it. Maybe, (coughs) excuse me, maybe some of the 12 disciples thought that Peter, James, and John would naturally be the greatest in God's kingdom because Jesus had chosen to take them up on top of the mountain with him. Maybe some of them just thought that Peter was going to be the greatest because, you know, Peter was the one who walked on water. Peter was the one who who Jesus said has the keys to the kingdom. Some of them surely thought that Peter, though, was not the greatest because he walked on water, but he also sunk like a rock in the water. And he's also the one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he's also the one who suggested building houses on top of the mountain for Jesus and Elijah and Moses. Maybe some of them even thought Judas was going to be the greatest. might be hard to... To think of that from our perspective. But Judas was the one who handled the money for their group. He was the treasurer. He carried the money with them as they traveled. Maybe some of them thought because Judas was the financial guy. He was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. But no matter who they thought should be or would be the greatest. Among them in Jesus kingdom. This question they asked shows that they were still missing. What Jesus had been saying to them. (coughs) Excuse me. After all that they had seen from jesus over their time with him the disciples were were still thinking about a positional earthly political kingdom they were still missing the point they were starting to get the idea that jesus was the messiah peter confessed that but they still thought that this messiah was going to to physically overthrow the rule of rome and overhaul the jewish religious System. They thought that God's kingdom was still about some type of a physical throne, and as they thought that that day was coming nearer, they wanted to know what this hierarchy was going to be. Who, who was first in line, Jesus? Who was going to get the most responsibility? Who was going to oversee the most land and property? Who was going to be the right hand man to help Jesus rule the earth from his throne? They had they had heard these same type of arguments from the Jewish leaders. For years, the Jewish religious leaders drew attention to their own virtues. They, they argued that there were three factors in determining who would be the greatest in God's kingdom. They, they said that personal righteousness, knowledge of the law of Moses, and dying for your faith were three the, the three things that would make someone great in God's kingdom. And while those are all good things, those are all great things... Those men devoted their lives to accomplishing those things instead of devoting their lives to the God of them. And these leaders pointed out their successes and they flaunted their piety, their religious piety, every chance they got. And so the disciples were excited that those leaders were going to get what was coming to them from Jesus. But the twelve still wanted to know who was going to take their place, which of them would be in the place of religious and political leadership when jesus took over when god's kingdom was established they were still looking out for themselves even after they had seen jesus give of himself daily now it's easy to point fingers at the jewish religious leaders for their pride and self-righteousness and and it's easy to point fingers also at the disciples for missing jesus focus as he focused on other people and, and on their hurts and pains. But the twelve continued still looking for their chance to get to the front of the line in the kingdom. But but that way of thinking you have to understand is not unique to the Jewish leaders or excuse me, or to the disciples. Pride and selfishness are natural to all of us. Pride and selfishness are natural to all of us. It's, it's our ego that drives us to the front of the line, to, to the best seat in the house, or ch- to choosing the, the biggest piece of cake before someone else. It's, it's ego, it's pride, it's selfishness that is the cause of, of arrogance, greed, lying, cheating, cutting corners at work, jealousy, stealing, rape, murder, and even wars. This same type of pride, <coughs> selfishness, was the cause of the very first sin in the garden when Eve took the forbidden fruit and held it in her hands it was not the the beauty of the fruit that enticed her it was not the nutritional value that captivated her imagination the promise that the serpent made to her was that by eating that fruit she could become like God and in so doing she could control her own destiny she could be independent calling the shots and in control. And she and Adam both gave in to their selfishness, their pride, their ego, as they shared in that sin. And in reality, pride and selfishness are the common thread through all of our sin. But we so often don't recognize the contributions of selfishness to our sin because of how accepted it is in culture to look out for number one. And because of the fact that it's everywhere around us. It is all around us. Years ago, there was a, uh, a famous doctor who kind of got caught up in his fame. And, and he realized that this was a flaw. He didn't want to be that way. And he became convicted of his lack of humility. But he didn't know what to do about it. And so he confided in a close friend of his. And his friend had a suggestion. His friend said, why don't you go around the streets of Chicago wearing a sandwich board With scriptures printed on the front and the back. And he said to take it a step further as you're walking around with this sandwich board with with Bible verses on it. Shout the Bible verses out at the top of your lungs. For everyone around you to hear. The doctor thought well it might help his cause as he was seeking to find humility. And so he took to the streets of Chicago. After a long day of wearing this sandwich board and, and shouting the scriptures out loud for everyone around to hear. He came back home, and he sat down with his friend again, and his friend asked, how did it go? And the doctor replied, I would bet that there's not another man in Chicago brave enough to do what I just did. So the point is, we cannot escape our pride. We cannot escape our pride. It is with us, and it is everywhere Around us, it's all around us. We even let our pride invade <coughs> our theology, the theology of our faith. You know, we can take a verse like John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We can take that verse and, and we think that we can wrap our minds around the idea God loves me so much that Jesus died for me. So if you and I put our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life. But do we believe the same thing about our neighbor down the street who's a real, real dirtbag? He cheats on his taxes. He, he steals tools from work. What about the guy who, who beats his wife? What about the woman who cheats on her husband? Let me take it and make it very real. What about the guy who killed his pregnant wife and daughters? There's no hope for them, right? God can't love that type of person the same way he loves me, right? God loves me because I have lived a better life than those type of people, right? Wrong. 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 Well, there are different consequences for different sin. But when God sees my sin and selfishness, he is just as disgusted. As when he sees the selfishness that leads to those other horrible acts. And our forgiveness, we have to remember, is not based on the weight or the gravity or the depravity of our sin. It is based only on the grace of our Savior. And the fact that our piety, our selfishness, excuse me, the fact that our piety, our religious pride in our faith even becomes a matter of ego should remind us again that pride and selfishness are the common thread through all sin and while we may not directly ask if we will be greater in God's kingdom than our neighbor and even though we don't always recognize it our selfishness our sinful nature is always working to drive each one of us to fight our way to the front of the line it drives us to cut someone off in traffic to to call shotgun on the way to the vehicle It drives us to buy more toys and more clothes and the nicest vehicle and to keep our time and our money for ourselves instead of being generous. And so instead of saying how stupid the disciples are for asking this question, which is the first thing I want to say, we should honestly see ourselves in this question. Let's look back at the text. at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven which one of us is going to be the greatest can you just picture Jesus as you see them asking this question surely he had to drop his head and shake it back and forth in wonder I think this is one of the times in scripture that that Jesus demonstrates an amazing amount of patience with these guys because instead of reprimanding them Look at what he does. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The wording here for little child is what was used for very small children, primarily infants and toddlers, actually. So Jesus brings this little toddler over to stand among them. And in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus then took this child in his arms. And Jesus tells his disciples that unless they can somehow change and become like this tiny little person he's holding in his arms, that they won't even get to be a part of his kingdom. They shouldn't be worried about who's going to be the greatest. They should be worried about whether or not they even make it into the kingdom. And in this very tender moment, as Jesus holds a small child in his arms, or maybe sitting on his lap, He gives his twelve a very stern warning. Unless you change. It's another word for repent. It's not the word that we talked about in, in communion time a few weeks ago that is that's commonly used in the New Testament for repent. That was the word that means a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of what you desire. This one specifically means a change of action, a change of behavior. Unless you change your actions, unless you change your direction, unless you change what you're trying to accomplish for yourself. Unless you change from chasing your own honor, your own power, your own merit, and become like this small and innocent child, you have no part in God's kingdom. Not a big part, no part. And this statement of Jesus at this time in in Jesus' day, this would have been a slap in the face of an adult children in jesus day held very little esteem children were a gift from god and and a large family was a blessing from god but the children themselves children themselves were not considered valuable as people they were not appreciated members of society they could not contribute small children then and now have no accomplishments no achievements no distinguishable abilities they have no wisdom and no merit they have no means and they cannot provide for or protect Themselves, They are weak and simple and vulnerable. They have no valuable skills to offer. So Jesus says, you see, this little kid who, who offers nothing to us, as far as you would think he should, this little guy who offers nothing, that's how God wants you to be if you're going to be a part of his kingdom. This little guy here is not worried about greatness or about finding honor for himself you know what he wants more than anything he wants to play on the floor with his mommy he wants to go for a walk and hold hands with his daddy do you know that he's too scared to be alone he doesn't want to be in control of his life because he still trusts his father to protect him and to lead him to safety you know that he doesn't, this little guy right here, he doesn't think at all about earning love from his parents with his achievements or by his behavior. But he does know that when he snuggles up to his mom and sticks his nose in her neck, she giggles with pleasure. And he knows that, that he's never seen his father laugh more than when they wrestle around on the ground together. You see this little guy right here. He, he doesn't know anything about being the greatest or how to become the greatest or gaining honor. He isn't worried about finding honor or position for himself. He knows that his father loves him, that his father will protect him, that his father will provide for him, and that his father will guide him. And he doesn't care about his accomplishments. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and that's why we refer to the original Greek so often. But the language that Jesus and his disciples would have spoken verbally at the time was Aramaic. And in Aramaic, there is actually no difference between the word for little child and the word for servant. It's the same word. Little child and servant we're the same and Jesus tells his disciples that unless you are that humble unless you're humble enough to be a servant unless you're humble enough to be an innocent child not looking out for yourself but trusting someone else to take care of you you cannot be great in God's kingdom greatness and salvation come from humility under our Lord's reign I have read in the past I didn't look it up to be sure but I have read that the most common designation for Christians in the New Testament The most common description is children of God. Christians are referred to also as believers and and as sheep. But we are called God's children more than any other name in the New Testament. In, In Matthew chapter 10, for example, Jesus calls his disciples his little ones. And that makes sense because salvation comes by humility. The humility of a child who relies on his parents' For everything, through, through that lens, we understand our sinfulness that separates us from God. And through that lens, we know our unworthiness of being in God's holy presence. And through that lens, we realize that we are incapable of earning our salvation. And so salvation comes by humility. Repentance and submission to our Savior is a result of that humility. But Jesus goes on. He takes it a step further. Look in verse 5. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. (coughs) Excuse me. Specifically here, he's talking about a millstone that had to be turned by a donkey, a large stone tied around someone's neck. He gets pushed off the deck of the ship into the depths this was a form of capital punishment that was used by the romans and the greeks and the syrians at the time there was no recovery of this body there was no burial service the bodies didn't come floating back up and jesus said that that is a better ending for someone than what is coming to you if you cause one of his little ones to stumble and sin But let me ask you here, is is Jesus actually talking about little children now, or is he still talking about believers, kingdom members who are like humble children? He he may be referring to both. But in the context of this entire passage, this entire chapter, we have to understand that Jesus is still referring to his children who put their trust in him. Children of God, kids of the kingdom, Christians, believers, those who have put their trust in him. In Jesus Christ and Jesus says that it is a very serious serious crime to cause one of his children one of his followers one of his believers to fall it is a punishable offense to lead a believer astray a drowning death in the depths of the sea is more pleasant than what comes for the one who causes the children of God to fall into sin but before that he said whoever welcomes A little child like this in my name welcomes me. He's saying that that how we treat our brothers and sisters is how we treat our Savior. How we view and interact with, with believers is a demonstration of what we truly believe about Jesus. How we love other people, the children of God created in His image. How we love on those people is how we love our Father in heaven. And so when the disciples ask who is going to be the greatest In your kingdom. Jesus' answer here in this passage is quit looking out for yourself. And consider how you treat other people. Humble yourself enough to put others first. Find a way to serve someone else who is helpless. Cry with someone who is hurting. Give to someone who has nothing. Don't focus on the things that you don't have but want to achieve for yourself. Look at what you already have to give, to serve. Don't worry about how you can get to the front of the line. Find a way to help someone else get there. Don't make this list of things that you can do to earn God's love or gain His favor. Trying to win a place of greatness for yourself in His kingdom. Greatness doesn't come in God's kingdom from self-promotion. It comes from service. In, In this kingdom, honor doesn't come from a high position. It comes from a place of humility. I'm going to flip to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. You can turn there if you want. In Philippians chapter 2, this is a great passage that addresses this issue, specifically through Jesus Christ, starting in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus isn't telling his disciples, he isn't telling us here to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. He gave up his divinity his equality with God. He became a man coming to earth, an obedient servant, and he humbled himself to die the most humiliating death that could be imagined. See, he is our glorious Savior, but he is also our ultimate example of being a humble servant, an innocent child who died for you and me. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes from being like Jesus, who laid down his life for the world. And so, when the question is asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I hope that you will always hear these words. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you don't know Jesus and what he has done for you and who he is, if you don't know about his sacrifice that atones for your sins, Please don't leave here this morning without talking to to one of us, myself or one of the elders or someone you trust about what Jesus has done for you and what that will do for you in your life and for eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we see this question the disciples asked that we would not scoff and turn our nose up at them. We would understand that we ask the same question every day in different ways as we look out for ourselves. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would give us each the humility of Jesus who laid down his life for his children. Lord, help us to have faith like children, to trust in you and to put others first as we live our lives for your glory, not our own. We thank you so much for Jesus and we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. I'd love to see you next week.